We should do a progressive drum album with Jeremy and then have like Steve Vai just, just sit in the back, just messing around. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for checking out Party Like a Rockstar podcast. I'm your host, Joel Miller. Today's episode is brought to you by Misha's Kind Foods. They're an LA-based small business making the world's finest non-dairy cheese spreads on the market today. They're delicious and healthy, made from a cashew and almond milk, and blended with various locally sourced fresh herbs, vegetables, and spices. There's no vegetable oils, soy, fillers, starches, or nutritional yeast. It's lactose-free, paleo, keto, kosher perev, and 100% vegan. Enjoy the show. I've been in New York City for 32 oh, yeah. years. Yeah, long, 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 long. Well, right now, we're in Connecticut. Jeremy and I are in the same building. I can yep. tell from the artwork on the walls. <laughs> yeah, check it out. We court, No, we coordinated. We're actually from, from very different places. We just made sure we wanted it all to look Have the good finesse. It does. Exactly. It looks very nice, guys. Yeah. You want the background to look good when the guys in the front only look so good. Actually, that was going to be one of my questions for hair bands. And I was just saying I had Snake on here for five hours and I forgot to ask the question to him. But the question was going to be, have you ever dated any women that were not as good looking as some of the guys in your hair band? <laughs> I think that's the, the prerequisite, though, isn't it? For, for who you date, got to be prettier be. than the guys in your band. Might be. It wouldn't be a bad one to have. It wouldn't be a bad well, one to have. That's the bar. I told Rob here, Jeremy, I was trying to do some last minute research on you guys because I just I just drove up from San Diego. So I'm hitting up a couple roadies and they're like, Jeremy Colson, hot ass lawyer wife. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I need <laughs> I wanted to know more about him. He's a fucking badass drummer. I'm like, thank you, roadie network. You know, thank you guys for the intel. <laughs> anyway, I'll introduce you guys. So Rob DeLuca is a bass player who's played in UFO and is a founding member of Spread Eagle. He's toured with Joan Jett and the Blackhearts, George Lynch, Helmet, and Sebastian Bach. Jeremy Colson is a drummer. He's played with Marty Friedman, Steve Vai, Billy Idol, Circus Diablo, and Michael Schenker. He's currently on tour with Sebastian Bach, my friend Rob DeLuca. <laughs> so we're joined today at the same hotel you guys yeah we're, hamburgers down the, we're down doing the a rhythm yep. section interview yeah. rhythm section interview so speaking of rhythm i did a little research here before we started and my big research was uh famous singers who have never actually come out with an album and this spawned from you rob because i was listening in this uh interview where you you got your record deal with spread eagle without ever actually performing with the with the band members not not live in a public show we performed in and we got signed out of a, a rehearsal basement rehearsal space about 12 by 12 space maybe 15 by 15 talk about time and place <laughs> yeah it was crazy it is it crazy. so the big singer i'm talking about is the swedish chef <laughs> the swedish chef made his first appearance with the muppets in 1975 and there's and there was only two compilation albums I could find with the Swedish chef on them, and he never came out with an album. Huh. I don't know much about the Swedish chef. Do you, Jeremy? I remember the Swedish chef, yeah. From the Muppets? From the Muppets with Animal. Yeah. yeah I have no. Animal tattooed on my uh, my calf. Let's nice. see that. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. You do. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's full yeah, circle. Yeah, chef. That was cool. You just thought that was some random shit, but no. <laughs> but no. All right. So uh, before you jumped on, we were talking a little bit about Guns N' Roses. I had the fine opportunity to work with those guys. Did you meet Bumblefoot then while you were out with Guns or... How did that all come about, Rob? Because that's where I stopped uh, listening. <laughs> yeah, that's that's when uh, that's when I met him when we were touring together. Such a nice fella. Yeah. Very nice guy. Incredibly talented. Incredibly talented. You know, he has this unique unique mind for music. A really unique mind for music, which is important. You know, when you have all yeah, you have so many people just trying to do something that kind of sounds generic. You know, it's nice to have people who are those outliers like that pushing Steve me another one jeremy you yeah. know just a complete unique look at music that no one else had which really enriches you know the art yeah so jeremy i listened to it and the, the guy was pushing here how you've been hired by all of these uh progressive guitar players you know and you're yeah like, you're like i just keep the fucking beat <laughs> yeah it's kind of uh it, it's funny because um a lot of times people think if you play with progressive musicians or, you know, particularly guitar players or whatever, that the kind of drumming that you do is, is means it's going to be super technical. And I'm all about just like hitting hard and being really consistent and just having fun. And, but um, I, I have found that like a big part of my career has for some reason, you know, fallen in playing with solo guitar players. And it's not like I listen to, that kind of music it's just that's what i've kind of fell into well, yeah you were a punker yeah i mean i'm just it's I, and i think that that's one of the things that um they like is that it, it's if if a guitar player is soloing and the drums are soloing then everything is like the, you you lose that where's like the acdc aspect of it like that's the part that you want to you know no matter what kind of music it is you want to have a pulse going what i, I like think here is in the other interview you said acdc too and i was like yeah i love you're sticking with it i love acd i know we probably all oh, do i fucking love acdc man yeah there would be just the, the way they crafted songs and there's the it was perfect you know and and i think you can doesn't matter what style of music you're doing if it's progressive or if it's whatever if you can if you have that mentality that's what that's what rock and roll is. It's like it's that moving your head and, and feeling it. Yeah. That relentless, relentlessness of that, you know, yeah. just even when you're not consciously trying to you, your body just starts doing that. That's what rock and roll is about. You know? Yeah, totally. And you had mentioned to me, Jeremy, that when you did your audition for Vi, there was all these people doing all this stuff and you just went in there and slammed it. And that's why you think you got the gig. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, and again, it, it's that. Um, and I think that I see that with the, the YouTube generation of drummers now. Um, it's all about a, it's like a circus act now. It's all about, you know, in, in the, the aspect of just, uh, you know, serving the song and being consistent and being solid. It's like it's not even about that anymore. And, and it's it, it, you know, the 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 level of playing the bar has been risen but music like musically i don't know musically just I, I feel like we've we've digressed in musicality and it's more about uh the visual thing of like watching 
you know, YouTube and watching somebody do all this stuff. I don't know. What do you think, Rob? Uh, well, you know, now with people getting famous online, it is about how outrageous you can, you know, if you can be more outrageous than the last person. So it does push things in that direction. The haircut doesn't cut it anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should do a progressive drum album with Jeremy and then have like Steve Vai just, just sit in the back, just messing around. <laughs> Every now and then you turn on like Steve. Show the yeah, fuck out, Come on in. <laughs> this isn't your album, yeah. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when I was out with Guns, Buckethead was on the tour, and I'd sit there with Buckethead, and I'd try and stump him. And I'd try and, like, I'd be like, play the Bengals. I'd be like, I can play the fucking Bengals, bro. <laughs> and he could, he could play anything, man. No matter wow. what you could come up with, he could play anything. It was amazing. And, wow. Uh, yeah, he's a quiet guy, but when you get him going, he was really fun to talk to. Cool. I don't know. It was really good. What was you your know, job? What was your what was your role back then? Uh, um, like grunt. I don't know. I was doing a bit of everything. I think uh, carpenter probably. I was a carpenter oh, okay. for a while, and then I was doing lighting. But I didn't. I don't know how much lighting I did on guns. I don't think I did very much. But so carpenter. I was probably one of the carps. Cool. So yeah, we only did two shows, but they were really fun. I, I, I was just telling Rob. So guns was my biggie. I like as a kid, man. I thought they were. Yeah. Really the greatest so i was about to go on tour with them and uh, my boss was just like you know the next tour we do you need to keep your shit together and i was thinking there's only one band this could be because i didn't I didn't even know i didn't care so i finally he's like i found out it was guns and roses i did a little jig my little irish jig and i'm like i'm gonna be good this is gonna be amazing and it was it was really cool i really liked it and then i'd heard you said you were partying a lot with axel and stuff and what a good guy he is which I like to hear because really? he is a fucking good guy. <laughs> He's a really yeah, good well, guy. You have to understand, Joel, that most 99% of the people who talk about him have never met him. No, they love uh, more the, than 99%. They love mixing. They Everybody loves to mix the pot. They think that the, the mixing of the pot makes things more interesting. But, uh, you know, there wasn't much to mix. The guy was fucking cool. I don't know. And I always say, well, we work a lot of hours and he goes on real like, quit. <laughs> Go work for fucking another band. Bail. You know, no one's sitting there holding you underwater yeah. this day. Leave. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, why well, complain about it? Either accept the job or pass on it. Yeah, take a fucking go. I don't know. So I I have good things to say. I, I really do. It's not even made of shit. I like them. So I, it was good. Anyway, I don't know. Back to you guys. So, uh, you know, one of the things that's fun for roadies, we love wind-ups and whatnot. And uh, Rob, I, you know, when you were younger, you're 20 years old, you're out with a vein and you said they weren't so into uh, you fucking with them. But uh, what kind of stuff did you remember doing? What was fun? I mean, it gets boring is the thing. <laughs> so you, you come up with dumb antics and some of them are pretty damn amusing. Do you remember any of them? From, I, I know we're talking 89, right? So a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that was not 90. 90. 1990. Um, I had mentioned on a previous interview that I, I wasn't doing drugs. Uh, so my, my recollection of the, back then is pretty good. But I don't remember doing much to vain i i remember the stories of what other people say we did like uh jumping on stage naked and and things like that but i i i guess my focus was elsewhere at that that time um but they did throw us off tour and um and they get we we shared a booking agent and they gave the agent a list of reasons why they were throwing us off tour and i remember two of them one was that we carried knives and another one was that they feared for their safety 
So because of the knives or no? <laughs> it was a different reason. So maybe it was it was a different, you know, it was a different entry. So maybe it was for a different reason. Yeah. But it was our first tour. We were total children, and that was what was beautiful about it. And we were convinced we were going to be the biggest, best band in the world. No one could tell us otherwise. I'm sure Vane felt the exact same way. Um, they had a few months on us as far as their video had first video had been out for a, a few months and this our first video had just come out um our album wasn't out yet we were we were touring in support of our video and our album was scheduled for release in a few weeks or something and it was a great times you know until it, it ended and uh since i've become friends with those guys and it's all good you know it's interesting so would you say that that time of life was like a serious growing up experience because you you talk about it in a way where you're you're excited about excess but when you went home you realized when you started doing your accounting <laughs> that you were starting to become excited about how the hell am I going to pay my rent so do you think it was a big time for you to to grow up and to explore different stuff or were you still ready to party for a long time and didn't figure I was it out? still ready to party for a long time um we, I didn't grow up even come close to growing up into well into my 30s I uh, just wasn't capable of it, you know, just yet. I was just crazy and I wanted to um, push boundaries and see what, how far boundaries can go and things like that. And I was, you know, like I said, convinced we were going to be in the biggest bands in the world, whatever it was at that moment, you know. And, uh, but eventually, you know, but those things I was recognizing that we had zero money and we were still living on pasta and grilled cheese sandwiches and you know and, but it was fun <laughs> oh it was always fun. every day was fun like we would rehearse spread eagle would rehearse like uh five six times a week you know but we would be out every night till 4 a.m when the clubs closed in new york city oh. but we would wake up and rehearse every day and and the drummer and i tommy gallo we would often do rhythm section rehearsals uh without the other guys and sometimes on the same day as a band rehearsal so we rehearsed a lot you know, when I had Snake Sable on, he had said, so like him and Sebastian or when they formed Skid Row with Sebastian, the amount of hours that they rehearsed, he said, John Bon Jovi would make fun of them of like, I mean, what the fuck are you? How many? It's like we would rehearse like 12 hours a day, like every fucking day, man. Yeah, that's the way it was back then for at least the bands I knew. Personally, I know one of the reasons why I did that. And I don't know if I realized this at the time. I wasn't a born musician, you know, where it's just I've played with people who are just like they don't practice at all and they just pick up their instrument and they're just so musical and just, you know, so able. And I was never that. So hmm. I figured, you know, repetition is is the way to mastery, you know, until I figure out how to until I figure this beast out, you know, and I still feel that way in a lot of ways that, um, you know, what you don't what doesn't come naturally you will figure out if you keep at it and you at this time were working in a record store jeremy yeah <laughs> what were your favorites what were your favorite records in the store did you sell any spread eagle records well no i wasn't it wasn't a record store it was a music store i was oh, like okay. a, uh yeah we sold like instruments uh like guitars and and drums and and all like the school instruments to like uh the kids you know the saxophones and clarinets and all that stuff i was doing that 
even when I had the Steve I gig, I, I still was working in a music store. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Are you, are you, can you play a little bit of other stuff or? Uh, you know, I, I play, I can, I can play a little bit of bass and guitar, um, but it's mainly drums. And then uh, the instrument that I got into the last couple of years is a, it's the didgeridoo. Oh, that's and cool. it's, uh, it's one of the most amazing instruments. It's an Aboriginal instrument from like Australia, New Zealand. And you, you know, it makes that sound and you have to circular breathe. And it's really a, like a meditative thing. And so I've been trying to kind of incorporate didgeridoo uh, stuff with like, you know, drums and try Are to- you writing stuff, Jeremy? trying to you know a lot of it is just the, the motivation i mean again the last couple of years i have you know we my families we've all been in the same house and i got a six-year-old and it, it's hard like I, it would be great to have that time to kind of make as creative time not like practice time but just creative time but with my schedule it's like i just i haven't been able to you know have that yeah, Jeremy, we're on a 12-week tour with Bach right now, and then Jeremy goes right out with Vi for how many weeks, Jeremy? I don't know, like... Right after. Yeah, like three weeks I'm three weeks after. You would finish this tour, then three weeks, and then it's off. yeah, Vi for like eight weeks. <laughs> Something like that. It's going to be brutal. So, yeah, I could see time being a, a, an issue. Yeah. Yeah. So have you guys ever typed in Sebastian Bach into Spotify? Probably. Learning up, songs, I probably. Up, well, it's Johan, 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 Sebastian Bach. Johan, Johan, Johan. <laughs> this is very amusing. Yeah, I get confused of which one it is when I'm trying to, like, find one of his songs. I wonder if yeah. we have, like, a mix and you'll just be sitting there listening and all of a sudden you're like, wow. How much a mash to a mashup? That would be great. I'm sure. You know what? I bet somebody has. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and if you type in Rob DeLuca into Google, you find Tuesday Night Trivia. <laughs> There's a guy who does trivia, his name Rob DeLuca, because I typed in Rob DeLuca Trivia, and it just said Tuesday Night Trivia with Rob DeLuca. I'm like, oh, he ran a spin on me. <laughs> uh, trivia, Rob? Uh, it's not me. Maybe, no, maybe I'll you, man. Maybe I'll do it some week, and it'll be Tuesday Night tr Rob DeLuca Tuesday Night Trivia with Rob DeLuca. Rob DeLuca. Uh, you guys think the david lee roth retirement thing's for real you know what's funny not not funny but th that you just mentioned that because i was i've been in my like my hotel room just kind of watching youtube things and i just listened to his speech i don't know if he, he like made this like announcement and uh i don't know like part of me thinks that he's maybe he's he's really sick like maybe something's going on but then yeah. the other part of me thinks like if he if people know that it's a retirement show it makes the show uh sell better sell better so and and people do that all the time it's and the then kiss retirement back. tour motley crew same thing yeah their one though unfortunately got canceled with the yeah I don't know. We, I heard you talking about it where you have audio tapes and stuff and in the background, you know, my one, as I went to see John Lee Hooker play before he died, 
and he was so old he could barely even walk how do you think he's gonna play <laughs> and they put him in a chair and they, he put his black glasses on by himself I might say he put the black glasses on by himself and I was like oh don't even make him play you know that was fucking amazing because <laughs> you're looking at him and then Ozzy said yeah you know I, I do I use a little enhancement I'm getting old man so yeah. I think it's fair, you know, I think it's fair, but then it, it takes you back to the roadie adage, which is, do you go to hear a show or do you go see a show? <laughs> and so, so what's better, yeah. you know, what do you want from these guys? How good do you think you'd be playing the drums at 80 years old, Jeremy? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and you got to think about what the, what the motivation is like. Ozzy, anyone who, who does this you know they want to either what are they doing they want to make more money or they want to please their fans or why do they need to make more money if they have to tune every all their vocals and fly in all these tracks or whatever or play their instruments in a completely different way you know like an 80 year old drummer just barely you know tapping his drums i mean it does you know you you got to answer you got to figure out what are the answers to those questions first like someone like who's so successful you know for 40 years they don't need more money so why tune everything why, why not just retire you know if you can't well, play so up to Ozzie, that ability you know, since we're anyway i mean he hasn't needed money for a really long time yeah so you know, he didn't need to do a tv show for sure so i wonder the answer in my head would be that it's what i do and i enjoy it and that's who i am so then it should be what you're capable of doing and then even maybe rearrange your set or your rearrange your songs to to show the best side of what you can do yeah but then the people don't want to they don't want to hear that they want to hear what they know from the record and you can't do yep. that anymore. well i'm not you know disagreeing what? with you i'm saying this is the argument you know so everything gets gets digital you know digitized and tuned and backing tracks and then it's a different animal and if that's yeah, I, what the audience is okay with, then, you know. I think a lot of that stuff is, is, you know, I don't think it's going anywhere soon. I think it's going to be the, the, the backing tracks and, and all that stuff. And I, I don't, I think there's, I, I don't think it's, it's uh, black and white. I don't think it's either, oh, you use tracks and it, it's, it's horrible or, you know, you don't use tracks and you're being real. I think it's, there are times when I think it can really enhance things. And I think that music now, even rock music is not guitar, bass, drums, and keyboards. It's, it's, there's a whole other electronica sound that that's involved in, in music now. And I, I think Dude, that the it's produ production, the production. Yeah. And all the sounds and everything like that. And, and unfortunately with that kind of stuff, you have to have some sort of track so that it fits in with the music, but that's just sonically people also, yeah, they want to go when they see a show, they want to sonically hear something. And I think uh, the bar is really high for these bands touring now because there's, they're constantly being filmed with phones and people can say, you know, can critique them and all that stuff. And so perfection has to be that's the, it's much more sought out now because you're always being seen but for instance like us you know like last night you're wearing stone pony shirt we played stone pony last night in asbury yeah. 
you know, bat, I, I've been playing with bats for 16 years, and this is definitely the hardest set he's ever had to sing because we're doing yeah. the 30th anniversary of Slaves to the Grind album. And that, that is him at his peak at 23 years old, gone for it. He, you know, he had the success of the first album. He had the confidence of the first album and, and the sales of it. And he really went for it on that album. And it's, it's a really great album. Absolutely. And that's the heart, you know, like he's now he's 53 and you know, that's, he's, he's doing a great job. And, and I commend him for that, that he, you know, is totally courageous to do this album. But, you know, what we are now is, you know, if, if you know, 53 year old guys doing what we did it in, in our twenties and it's a, it's a little bit of a different thing, you know, like it's not perfect, you know, but it's still yeah. really great. And he's doing an incredible job, but that's what we're bringing. We're not bringing like a perfect rep representation of, of the recording of that album. It's our, yeah. our versions, you know, everything is arranged for one guitar and, and, you know, less production. And, uh, and that's the beauty of it, you know, is it intimidating at all to watch old footage of yourself? playing where you're like fuck that's i don't know if i could do that right now <laughs> for me yeah yeah for me i think for me like uh physically just because of how intense drumming is when i see things of when i was in my you know 30s you know i didn't have to stretch i could just get up and you know the the uh that aspect you know it's like any athlete the older you get the harder it is to do that but the difference is uh musically um i'm i feel like i'm i'm better than i've been That's i cool. definitely agree with that i you know i can't run around you know we still run around like crazy yeah. but i can't run around like i did when i was in my early 20s and you know but, but i, I can play so, so much better if the audience are the same guys, let's say, who want to see that time period of your life, they're also your age. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let's see them do it. <laughs> yeah. It takes them a couple minutes longer to park the car and walk into the venue and a couple beers less than they had at this. Oh, maybe it all goes down the line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Tell them to jump up there and give it a go. <laughs> uh, yeah. But they'll be the first to have their camera and, and, you know, and then say something about it and, you know, post it and, you know, it's, uh, it takes a lot. Yeah. And that's why I'm, you know, what I said is like, we're not trying to do that. We're not trying to say we're going to give a perfect representation that is exactly like the album. We're a rock and roll band. We're a hard rock yeah. band and it's a living, breathing thing. It's dangerous. It could be different every night, you know, but we're a good example of our interpretation of that at this age. And it's really powerful. It's Absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine that either one of you would have thought you'd be on the road with Sebastian Bach right now, 20 years ago. You know, it would just, I don't think you would have picked them, you know, so it's neat where the world goes and the way it goes. So I don't know. He's, yeah. Uh, he's, yeah. He's, he's buddies with Axel, right? Weren't they friends? Oh, yeah. No, I think that's how they bonded. I suspect that's how they bonded. Like they have a, a unique existence where they can't walk down the street, you know, and, well, Sebastian, you know, they, I remember as a kid, he was on MTV attention. a lot, man. He he was a VJ, wasn't he? He was on all the time. Uh, he does a lot of um, he does a lot of shows where he's the he's the the, the face you know, face. 
So I think they bonded in that way where they can relate to some life experiences and, and uh, you know, and Axel has helped the Bach band and us out a lot by, you know, giving us shows. Yeah. All right. Um, Billy Sheehan. I saw this. So Billy Sheehan was at your audition <laughs> when you, when you tried out for Vi? Oh yeah. It was him and uh, yeah. Him and Steve. I went, uh, I went, I drove down, I was living in Northern California at the time. And then I, yeah, I came down and, and uh, I woke up the next morning and it was, yeah, it was Steve and Billy Sheehan. And that the audition was like, Hey, let's go jam. And then we jammed. He used to hang out a lot. I used to go to a place called the cat club. I know it was, okay. on, it was owned by Slim Jim and uh, Dizzy from guns used to play there every week. And, yeah. uh, we had this whole crowd and Billy was there a lot. Most of the time. And, yeah. uh, he, he can, he's versatile, man. He can play a lot of different stuff. He's all over yeah. the board. Well, he's, you know, his influence on the bass is, uh, undeniable. I mean, it's just, a, you know, he's like, I, I almost look at him like a lead guitar player on a bass, you know, except on a bass and the way he can move around, uh, and play is it's, it's, it's pretty fascinating. Yeah, it's neat. So what jobs did you have before music stuff, Rob? I know you were working at the music place. So before the music store, what were you doing? What were you guys doing early on? Um, well, when I was in Spread Eagle, even though I was broke, I didn't work because we rehearsed as much as we did. But after that, I was a carpenter. I painted apartments, uh, a carpenter in the sense, not really a woodwork carpenter. We would go into a building in Manhattan and uh, or in Brooklyn and just got it to the floors and build it up with, you know, uh, studding and sheetrock and tiling and all that stuff. Okay. And then after that, I also painted apartments. Um, and then after that, I was a bartender for a lot of years in Manhattan. And now I'm a bass player. You we are. And we appreciate it. I appreciate it. I'm trying to convince Jeremy of that, but yes. <laughs> You're fucking awesome bass player. It's yeah, you know, I gotta say it's been so uh lately the sound checks have been Rob and I will just we'll be up there and we'll run through some tunes and there's nothing better than than uh, playing drums and having a bass player and it's you guys are just working together because that's such an important part. Yeah, and fun. uh Rob's just solid, man. It's awesome. Thank you, Jeremy. Thank you. Uh. Are you guys, are you going to do any other albums for yourself soon? You think I, I, I realize Jeremy, you're a little bit bogged down right now, but uh, it would be cool. You have another Vi album on the horizon, Jeremy? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's coming out uh, before that, that tour starts. So yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. You know the name of it or no? Uh, no, I'm not sure. He's still finishing up. I mean, I, I went, this is literally, after uh right before i came out to start you know these shows i was finishing up at uh dave Grohl studio the six what is it 606 in uh burbank and that's on that old neve right yeah so yeah we did i did a, like three or four songs for the for the new album very cool yeah so are you in la you live in la jeremy i yeah i'm kind of like um in Santa Clarita, it's like a little further north, northeast, oh, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I have a house in Acton. Okay, yeah, because that's I'm I'm a big mountain biker, so like I like being that that area there. It's just you know 
Peaceful. I read it out to a buddy of mine, and he, he's like, I can I can drive my dirt bike right out of the fucking garage, bro, and just drive yeah. around the property, and no one cares. I'm like, I love it. It's, it's so cool. Yeah. So excited about it. I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, that's rad. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Uh, Rob, how did you meet Steve and Lily White? Um, I was in a band in the uh, 90s uh, on DreamWorks, and uh, he produced our album. And it was a real pleasure. It was a real pleasure working with him. But answering your last question first, uh, Spread Eagle will start our um, next album recording when I get home around Christmas. Uh, We we did a bunch of demos and wrote a bunch of songs. And we're going to start when I get back. That's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. Yeah. New songs are really great. Our fans are going to love it. I have no doubt. <laughs> I have no doubt. All right. So when I first decided I was going to start a podcast, which uh, my buddy's five-year-old daughter, she said, you should ask everybody when they first felt famous. So we're talking about a little kid. But what I like about the question is it's uh, its root of being so innocent. So it doesn't have to be fame if, if you don't want to go down that route. That's up to you. But it could be like an event that happened that pushed you on your way, something that... Uh, was like this is good there's something happening here within me that i like probably for me first time being on headbangers ball with the scratch like a cat spread eagle video you know we were we we had recorded our record but it wasn't out yet we were getting ready to go out on tour with vane and you know just i mean i watched headbangers ball every saturday night you know so it was a big deal to be on that now you paid for the video. You guys did. The band, uh, the band paid for the video because uh, we didn't yet have our video budget, and uh, so we. And used there was that. no guarantee it was going to be on Headbangers Ball. No. So it's really fucking exciting because uh, you have the, the the fun aspect, but also the monetary aspect that we didn't waste our money, which is we didn't have a lot. Yeah. Mm. Jeremy. Uh, I don't know. For me, it was because. You know, again, my intention for for getting into music was never to be like to like Rob. Kind of, you had a band and you guys were like a, a team and you were going for it. I was yeah, always, definitely. Yeah, I've always just been a side guy. So for me, any um, feeling of of making it had to do with like uh, getting my like getting endorsements with drum companies that like getting an endorsement with Tama, full endorsement. You know which is like, that's a big thing, or getting a feature in Modern Drummer Magazine. Uh, recognition for, for my craft was like uh, the, the most important thing that I've, I've felt, you know, uh, that feeling of like, wow, I've, I've, I've made it. Yeah. Were your guys' parents supportive of you guys going into music? Extremely. That's cool. Why? What did mom and dad do? They weren't musicians. My uncle was a musician who moved from Delaware to San Francisco in the 70s. And my mom and her, he was, that was my mom's brother. They were very close. So they respected the fact that he had the balls to do that. And when I wanted to be a musician, they were really supportive. My, um, I, I had a 1960 Corvette that I sold. I went to Berkeley and I sold that for, for, uh, 
for tuition money. So they respected that I would make that kind of commitment. And then they paid the rest, which was quite a bit because it's an expensive school. Mm-hmm. Um, so did you do the so school music? I- was it the Berkeley School of Music you were doing? Yes. Oh, neat. All right. Uh, they, yeah. So they knew I was serious about it. And they were just always just cool about it, you know, like not like ever with any timeline. How's, you know, maybe you should reconsider, how, you know, how long do you think you're going to tr- do this before you uh, you know, consider other things, you know, they're just always cool. Like you're having fun, you know, keep pushing, you know, and, and they could sense my, uh, my drive and my eagerness about it, you know, which is still as strong as it ever was, you know, so it's hard to, you know, you don't question things where, where someone's really loving something, you know. What about you, Jeremy? Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, um, you know, for me now being a parent and seeing uh, like the things that my daughter has an interest in or wants to pursue, you know, you want to be just as supportive as possible, no matter what it is, as long as it's like a healthy kind of thing. And I think that uh, a, a real musician is somebody when they discover their instrument they they just they're obsessed with it and then that's that's all they want to do they live eat sleep and breathe and parents will see that and and it's always cool and when you know the way my parents were they saw how excited i would be about rush and like things like you know drums and um and they were you know always really really super cool sorry sorry guys my uh my thing was uh my daughter was actually trying to call me. <laughs> Put her on. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, about just, um, yeah, parents being supportive, man. Same thing is, you know, what Rob was saying. It's just, it's just cool. I think it's important. A lot of people said it, that their parents were supportive, and I think it helped them out a lot. Yeah, I mean, I'm, we're lucky in that regard because uh, it made it a little easier, you know, like at least you're not, not, nothing's worse than feeling like you're on the clock for anything not just what we're talking about now just anything in life if you feel like you're on the clock you know that's the root of stress you know and yeah yeah but then it's hard to carve your own way i think it's worth it but it's hard so anything and everything is hard it's hard being hard, yeah it's hard being a a homeless person too you think that's easy <laughs> you know <laughs> or a drug addict that's no fun yeah. so everything's hard <laughs> yeah fair enough. might as well be something positive and and you know and worthwhile what are some of the oddest gigs you've had venues like where you're like what the hell is this place i wish i had a i mean there's so many there, there's there's just like i think uh I was on uh, with Vi. We we toured uh, like five and a half weeks in Russia, uh, and it was like we were all through Siberia. We were taking trains and just to, you know this promoter guy had set this thing up, and we were just going to some of these places. And you would just go, "How is a, a show going to happen here?" It's just it, you know totally weird, disorganized. Um, they always would, right? Anyway, all right. I'm gonna leave, daughter. guys. I'm gonna, my daughter's calling me. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, man. And you what's your much. channels, Jeremy, that you want to promote? What are your What are your social medias? Any Any names? Uh, or? Now, just my my I'm on Facebook and and uh, 
yeah, Facebook. I have Colson Drum Lab. It's my uh, video thing that I put up and check it out. Cool. Yeah. Let us know when you uh, find out the album, that title, so we can go get it. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And tell your daughter, sorry to make her wait. We didn't mean No, it. no, it's all good. You know, being on tour, this is my time now to, you know, to have have some family time. So good. Bye, Jeremy. Thank yeah. you. All right. What's See you guys. Yeah, so my, my stuff is just uh, basically Spread Eagle Band or Spread Eagle NYC or usually our handles. Uh, you don't know when you're going to come out with the album yet, though. No, totally. I don't. But, uh, but we'll be working on it hard in the beginning of the year. And um, so when you were when you're doing your album, are you you guys are sending files through the Internet now? Um, no, we do it old school. I mean, we you know, yeah, of course, there's a there's going to be a little bit of that, but we're still you're recording it in a studio together. Yeah, we're very we're very 70s or 80s oriented of how. You know, we look at cl how classic albums came about, you know, and and we want to get as close to that as possible you know with, without assuming you know anything we wouldn't that's what we aspire for so you are a major traditionalist aren't you i'm very i'm a major tra traditionalist when it comes to rock and roll because i think the best rock and roll was was created in traditional ways mm. so um so yeah we'll, we'll we get together um the drummer and i have already done a ton of rehearsals we worked out all the rhythm section rhythm section parts and uh i'll be you know, I'll be in the studio with the guitar player in December, and then I'll be in the studio with the singer um, throughout the whole thing. I'll be producing it. So, uh, yeah, it's important to uh, to not cut corners when it comes to rock and roll as an art form, especially songwriting. Yeah, it is interesting. And, and only so many musicians, I know more roadies, but it's the seriousness that the musicians have about their craft that I don't know why, but I just never expected, you know, you think it's all just fun and games and it, uh, it's not to take away from fun and games, but it's the seriousness that I just didn't, I don't know. I never put that together. Hopefully the seriousness leads to fun and games, you know, so you can, you, you, you create a project and then you celebrate the project, you know, it's yeah. like you reward yourself, you know, you, you, you worked hard. So now I can have a couple of beers. You know what I mean? It's like a re yeah. work reward kind of thing. And that's the same with, uh, with in my my view of music you know you, there's time for very hard work you know and the more hours you put into the creation of an album the better it should be the problem with the the this equation is there's there's less money in making albums and that's what, so why people skimp so much on the creation of an album or the recording of an album it's just a financial decision, you know, but, um, but you're okay to make your money from a, a Sebastian Bach tour, let's say, and spend it on, uh, on that's a, what on I do. Project. Yeah. That's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or UFO tour, you know, and I put it, I invest it back into what my, you know, my, um, my passions, you know, my labors of love. Are you a record collector? Correct. Are you a yeah, record I have about a thousand LPs. I kind of yeah. figured. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's really neat. I really appreciate you taking the time. It means a lot. Thank you. So thank, thank you, Joe. And I hope really you appreciate being here. I'm having a great time. I just met Jeremy a few weeks ago. Seems like um, a super nice guy. He's, a, he's an awesome dude, awesome musician, awesome drummer. Um, very, very consistent. And uh, I'm having a really good time, especially now that we're 
few weeks into things and things are really settling. Cause I, our last drummer, Bobby Zorzombach was with us for 16 years. So it's, you know, it's a big change. Um, and it's really starting to settle in with Jeremy and it's really fun. So it's, it's a good time. And that's what you were saying about, you know, the hard work and the, the, well, I forget what, how you phrased it, but the fun of it, you know? Yeah. The fun aspect. Cause uh, yeah. you know, by the time they hired a guy like me, you're all right. You're already big you're you know have a carpenter or stage manager you're a big band already so i don't think i ever really saw what went into them becoming the bands i liked so it's interesting to hear from you guys speaking of gnr well all of them i mean like the guys from poison i i was joking around i would shave my head and revolt of the long hairs or other crap i came out with but those guys worked their damn asses off um you, and, you were a carpenter with Super Dave on the Poison tour? Super Dave rings a bell, but no. So on Poison, I was a lighting guy, actually. And okay. I hated Super it. Super Dave was a carpenter. He's a really nice guy. I know the name. I, he, I do. He, he was probably there. So the carpenter oh. was doubled up. He was the stage manager. And oh, yeah. uh, he married Brett's assistant, Junior. His name's Junior. A real nice fella. But these are later, too. This was the 2001 Glam Slam Summer Jam. <laughs> but what I liked about them was uh, not taking... get the Glam Slam Summer Jam, Joe. Glam Slam That's, Summer that Jam. That one went down in history. What I liked about them was not taking it so seriously. So it was the other side of the coin. Um, I think there's a very serious side of Poison also. But... We did 40 shows with them in 2008. There's a... There's a there's a business side to them it's also. A, it's a well put together. Absolutely. Business. Brett, I think, would personally look at me spending five bucks on nuts and bolts. I think he really would. Whereas NSTP, I could spend a thousand dollars on tools and no one ever looked. Nobody cared. So he watches everything. But at the same time, I, I wholeheartedly think they were enjoying every show. I, all of them. Good. They, Good. I think they really liked what they were doing. And so there was a fun feeling about the shows. Maybe it's because of what people are wearing and how much fun they're having. I'm not sure. But there was always this vibe of enjoyment. I never felt like I was uh, stressed out or bogged down at all on a poison show. So, and like all of them, as soon as I went out with them, they went around to introduce the, who are you? Never seen you before. You know, my name's Brad or whatever. Made a point to say, hey, thanks for coming out and helping us and being cool. Yeah, very family oriented, really really good guys whereas guns is such a massive machine it's like who's that guy i don't know yeah, I, don't even... I saw them since their first uh east coast tour you know the very first one so i saw the whole oh god that must have been a whole arc it's not i guess not arc because arc means it comes back down the whole rise Did you know shannon hoon at all i know maybe a little random i met him at a party once you know when he was alive such I, amazing I singer ray west's apartment he was from spread eagle he came he yeah. was pretty heavily into you know the stuff back then yeah it's un, it's obviously it's unfortunate but uh he had an angelic did, voice very beautiful angelic voice amazing you know there's a few i i i, I don't like it because they, they talk about the voices of the 90s and the losses with lane staley and stuff and they never include shannon hoon on these stupid lists that they make I know, but I think that's his own fault, you know, unfortunately, because he just didn't stick around long enough to stay in everyone's consciousness, you know, and there's a lesson learned, you know, right there. Too much, too much excess, too much excess. 
Yeah. I didn't know he was on the Don't Cry songs until later in life. And then when I heard him, I was just sort of like, oh my God, how could I not hear that? Yeah. So, yeah. It's like, uh, that's an interesting thing. You know, the song You're So Vain by Carly Simon? Yeah. You're so vain. Mick Jagger sings backgrounds on that song. And for people who don't know it, because that song, most people have heard, even if it's just in an elevator or in a hotel lobby, most people have heard that song hundreds of times. And the people who have never realized that Jagger's on it, then you tell them and then they listen. They're like, how could I have not heard it? It's so loud. You know, well, she's never confirmed, but apparently it's supposed to be about him. And that's why he's saying the background on the song. But she's I never heard it was about Warren Beatty. But but, who, you know, maybe maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I don't know. The other one that's uh, Christopher Cross. I know different vein. Of, well, no, I don't know. Sort of Carly Simon-esque. I don't know. Uh, Michael McDonald singing all the background on on this on a couple of the songs, and when you hear that, then all you're like, oh yeah, totally, I totally hear it now. Yeah, he but, did a lot of sessions. He did a lot, lot of sessions. session work. Hilarious. <laughs> you know, I'm going on tangents. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoy the rest of your day off, and I hope that your tour goes fantastically well. I'm sure it will, and uh, you guys in, enjoy yourselves. So. Thank you, Joel. And I have one more thing to pitch. I have a vintage base website called vintagebaseworld.com, vintagebaseworld.com. And it's, I build it myself. Um, and it is the largest vintage instrument website in the universe. So please check it out if you're into vintage bases, vintage amps, things like that. So this is a database or there's stuff for sale or both? Uh, mostly a database. It's uh, thousands, hundreds of pages, tens of thousands of pictures. How neat Check is that? Vintagebaseworld.com. Vintagebaseworld.com. So you, you started it. You put it together. I built it. Yeah. And the well, idea... I had a friend who, who did the, the uh, coding and all that. Um, so the, the idea is if I want to see what uh, your base looked like from back in the day, I, I can look at all angles and learn about what you changed and everything about your instrument. Yes and no. If you, um, my, the base I'm using uh, on this tour is a 1966 Fender Precision. So if you're interested in what uh, all the uh, details, very, um, uh, very clear details of the components of a 1966 Fender Precision, you go to this site and it's got pictures and text about all of it. And it's really fascinating. But I can look up your 66 Precision versus... Uh... Uh, not, not so much mine, but I have some stuff about my Thunderbirds on there that I use in a UFO. I have can uh, I upload I can upload my base anybody can no but you can contact me and if it's something that I don't that isn't in there um because everything has to be vetted for it to be sure. uh you know a valuable site so so the so idea is, it's not more of the personal aspect the idea is more of a historical aspect of every base ever made yeah it's it, exactly and you know I mean, Fender Gibson Rickenbacker Music Man, Ampeg, you know, it's really extensive. Yeah, I, it took me 10 years to build. But when you're on tour and you're sitting on a tour bus and you got nothing to do, you have to think of creative things. And that's what I thought of. So check it out, vintagebaseworld.com. I'm on it. Hey, thanks for watching Party Like a Rockstar. If you're not already subscribed to the Facebook or YouTube channels, do it. We're also on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The handle is Party of Stars. Thanks for watching. You'll see you next time.